you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 to 16. Give ear now, this is God's word. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. We're in a short series on what it means to be a disciple. Disciple is another word for a Christian, but also how to make disciples, right? So how can we be a disciple? How can we make disciples? And we've seen that a disciple's first love is Jesus. And our relationship with him is the most important thing about us. Last week, we saw that the disciples' second priority is Christian friendships. It's building and growing relationships in the church. Today, we're going to see the disciples' third passion. The third passion. The third passion of a Christian is to grow his or her relationships in the world. To grow his or her relationships in the world. This means cultivating and growing and deepening relationships with non-Christians. Okay, One of the biggest complaints about Christianity today uh, and biggest complaints against Christians, against the church, is that Christians are simply out of touch with reality. To be a Christian means you don't have a clue what life is really like. That is something that people complain about. It's something where, I mean, it's, it's leveled at the church in all kinds of different ways. The best way to address that complaint is relationships. It's relationships. It's deepening, growing friendships with folks who aren't Christian. Jesus was so passionate about this. Jesus was so concerned that the world would know how relevant Christianity is that he left heaven to prove it. Jesus is so passionate about non-Christians understanding why he matters that he summarizes his entire ministry in one phrase that's this. It's printed in your bulletin, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man, that's Jesus. The Son of Man came. Why did he come? He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is so passionate. He was so passionate about building relationships with people who did not know God, who didn't know who he was, who didn't know how to follow him, And if you're a Christian here today, that is also your passion. You might not feel like it's your passion. Have you ever had somebody tell you, hey, here's your passion? It's kind of odd, isn't it? That's what Jesus says in our text. And we're going to see that. We're going to see it in these two images that Jesus gives us of salt and of light. To summarize it, in one word, Jesus says that your relationships with the world, in one word to summarize it, it's influence. It's influence. We are to be people of influence. That's how Jesus describes our relationships with the world. And we're going to see this influence in three points as we look at it today. So you can look there in your bullets if you want to take notes. Three points. We're going to see first, your influence seasons like salt. Second, your influence shines like light. And then third, your influence grows through relationships. 
Okay, so all about your influence. It seasons like salt, it shines like light, and it grows through relationships. So first, it seasons like salt. Jesus says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt has a lot of functions, right? Salt, we use salt for lots of different things. In the ancient world, though, its primary purpose was preservation. Okay, salt was a preservative. They had no refrigerators, no freezers back then. And so food would spoil very, very quickly. And salt kept things from going bad. It kept things from rotting. Primarily, it was meat, so it prevents that decaying process. Stuff lasted longer. So if you killed a sheep, right, where do you put it if not the refrigerator, right? There's no deep freeze. You can't, you know, okay, we're going to have a leg of lamb tonight for dinner, and then, you know, tomorrow morning it's covered with flies. And so they would add salt, and it would give them a longer period of time for leftovers, you know, cooked and uncooked. And so the function of salt is preserving. It makes things last. Okay, that's what salt does. It makes things last. And that's why it was actually used by God in worship. Okay, this is kind of interesting. Like, I didn't know about this until I started studying. I thought, well, I wonder where else the Bible uses the word salt, because Jesus brings up salt. And usually when Jesus brings up images, analogies, illustrations, usually if you look, there's something in the Old Testament that tells you what it meant that Jesus is borrowing from. So I did some research and gave you the fruits of the research. There's just two verses that I included here. Uh, Look at these two verses. Leviticus 2, verse 13. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. Okay, so a grain offering was one of the types of sacrifices that the people made. And so their grain offerings, all of them had to have salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Isn't that interesting? You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God. Salt was a symbol of being in covenant with God. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, even if you've studied the Bible a lot, that might be new to you. It was new to me. I didn't know that this week. And then he explains a little bit more in Numbers 18, 19. All of the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you, thus the priests, and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. Listen to this. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. What we see there is that the purpose of adding salt to a covenant was to make that covenant what? Last forever. If you added salt, that covenant became permanent permanent and so it's interesting salt was actually used almost like a notary public you know it it was like a it was a it was a validation it was a sign this is official it was a stamp of approval and it was a stamp of that the covenant would last forever and so and it kind of makes sense right you put those things together salt's preservation means that symbolically salt is permanent Okay, you add salt to make the meat last longer, right? You add it to a covenant, it makes the covenant last longer. The point here, so the reason why, let's think about this for a second. The reason why salt has a preserving influence is because there's something in salt that makes it last. And so this is where, if you can follow my train of thought, this is where it gets really, really interesting, this image. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're a Christian, you're the salt of the earth. Okay? That means that you have a preserving influence 
in your relationships. Okay, so that's, that's true. I think a lot of people have heard that before. Maybe if you've been around the church, you've heard this talked about before. But first and foremost, Jesus isn't, uh, well, first and foremost, Jesus is saying it means that you are permanent. Salt preserves because salt is permanent. If you're the salt of the earth, the reason you have a preserving influence in your relationships is because you are permanent. Because you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to explain that in a minute, but does that make sense? If you are the salt, then you are permanent. You should be going, well, what the heck does that mean? Right? Well, you've got to understand this to really get the image that Jesus is, is, is hitting us with. What this means is that when you are following Jesus, when you're walking the way Jesus walked, you are living in a way that will last forever. When you are living like a Christian, when you are following Jesus, you are living in a way that will last forever. There is coming a day when God is going to bring judgment. Jesus talks about that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. At the point when Jesus judges the world, he's going to judge both the living and the dead. He is going to usher in a kingdom where certain things stop and certain other things continue on forever. When Jesus comes back, all evil will stop. All sinfulness will stop. All selfishness will stop. All greed will stop. All lust will stop. All that stuff will stop. But love will go on forever. Joy will go on forever. Peace will go on forever. Good relationships will go on forever. Listening well will go on forever. Understanding will go on forever. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that when you live in those ways today, you're living in a way that will last forever. You're living in a way that will actually be the way that you're going to live when Jesus makes everything perfect. That just blow your mind? I mean, think about that, that we can live in a way now. It's like a movie trailer. Our lives can be a movie trailer for what's to come. Okay, now, this doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect in this life. Okay, we're always going to struggle. Christians are... If anybody's not perfect, Christians are not perfect, right? We're not talking about us being perfect now, but we're talking about that we can live by the power of God in us, by the, by the reality of Jesus' spirit living in us. We can live in a way that will last forever. Jesus says, when you do that, you are the salt of the earth. And so it's not so much... The point Jesus is making is not that, well, the world's going to hell, but Christian influence can hold it back. That's not what Jesus is saying. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is there are problems in the world. The world is radically broken. You can live in the world in a way that injects heaven into, in, on earth. By your lives, you can live in a way that brings the reality of heaven to this earth and you can live in a way that injects permanence you can show what life is going to be like that lasts forever and that will have a preserving effect okay we're not trying to keep the titanic from sinking what we're doing is we are doing what we pray we are we are bringing god we're doing god's will on earth as it is in heaven we're praying god your kingdom come 
right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we live as a follower of Jesus, when we follow Jesus with our lives and the way we act, the way we treat people, the way we talk, the way we listen, the way we understand, when we do those things, we're bringing heaven to earth. And that influences a world that's broken. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying. That's what it means to be salt. It means that in a world that's decaying, you are living in a way that shows what will last forever. That's just really, really important. Now, salt's influence, okay, if we're going to apply this analogy, the influence of salt can only work in relationships. If you're not in relationships, have you ever taken a cup of salt and just tipped it back? I mean, there are times when I'm feeling really sick and I'll put a giant amount of salt in a glass of water and heat it up, right? It melts, and then you gargle salt water. Anybody ever done that? Have you ever gotten some on the back of your throat? You know, and then it like goes down and you're gagging for, you know, 10 minutes? It's awful, right? To be effective, salt needs to be seasoning, not the main course. And the way that we take concentrated salt and shake it is through relationships. It's through relationships. I mean, you think about even just with meat, right? I have this stuff in our kitchen, okay? I shouldn't even tell you this because this is a secret, but I'm going to tell you anyways. It's this mixture of salt and seasonings, and when you apply it to meat, okay, when you put it on meat, it can take the toughest, cheapest meat that you can buy in the store, okay? Now, I'm talking about the stuff you pay like literally $1.07 a pound, Okay, you don't have to buy a T-bone, you don't have to buy a porterhouse, you don't have to buy a New York strip. You buy that, um, I mean, it could be the flank steak, okay? The seven bone steak that you get, um, seven a pound when it's on sale. You put this stuff on meat and it turns it into the wettest, juiciest. So is this God protecting my secret? Or is this the enemy not wanting you to know about what you've been missing out on? Interesting. It becomes the wettest, juiciest, most flavorful steak you have ever tasted. So I've eaten $20 steaks before in restaurants, $30 steaks before that haven't been like my dollar seven a pound steaks with this stuff on it. You know what it's... <laughs> it's good. Do you know what this stuff's called? It's called Grub Rub. Okay, it's called Grub Rub. You can't buy it here. They make it in Texas in a town right outside of Houston. And when I learned about this, boy, when anybody goes to Houston, I ask them to bring it back for me. So I have it in my house. The point is, why why do I tell you what it's called? It's called grub rub, okay? Because to get it to work, you have to put it on the meat, but not just on the meat. You've got to rub it into the meat. It's not just cut. You sprinkle it on the top, but then you have to actually rub it in with your fingers, right? You squish it in there. You make sure it gets in all the places and all the meat. And then you flip it over and you shake again. And you rub it into the meat. You've got to rub this stuff in. Your fingers get all gross and nasty. The only thing that makes you happy about the mess on your hands when you're done is the anticipation of what it's going to taste like when it comes off the grill. Oh, but it's awful. That's us in relationships. Okay, That's the image for us. What relationships do for salt is it rubs the salt into someone else's life. Okay, we have to be in relationships. If you've done any discussion with anybody about Jesus before, it makes a huge difference 
when you open your mouth to talk about Jesus, if somebody actually knows you or they don't, right? If you have a relationship with them, it makes all the difference in the world. So we need to be in relationships at work, at home, in the neighborhood, in all of life. The key to being, to to letting the salt of your permanent life actually influence people is to be in relationships. You've got to have friendships with non-Christians. That's where the influence comes. And if you don't have real growing friendships, you will have no influence. So, I mean, just in terms of this, so what salt calls for is it's, it's a life. It looks like something. It tastes like something. Okay, and so when you think about your relationships with non-Christians, in terms of our discipleship plan, we talk about knowing, being, and doing, right? Knowing, um, being in relationship, and then doing service. I mean, we, with non-Christians, we want to do that in the reverse order. We want to do service in a friendship. We want to, to, to serve the other person in a friendship. We want to be in relationship with them. That's what the salt is. The salt gets into someone else's life. Right? And it, it serves, it cares for, and it builds a loving relationship, a relationship of credibility, a relationship of trust, so that you can share, so that you can share. Okay? But our salt, our saltiness is us living now in ways that will last forever. That's what it means. And when we rub that into relationships, it will begin to influence. It will begin to influence. So there's a result here if we don't do this. Okay? If you don't live now in a way that will last forever, Jesus has a pretty negative result here that he says. He says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be, to be restored? He's saying you can't. If you have salt that stops being salty, there's no more use for it. You can't get the saltiness back. And it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so in Jesus' day, to not be salty was to not be a Christian, okay? And so someone who heard Jesus' words but didn't believe them or didn't follow them, then if you're not following Jesus, then you have no permanent life. You have nothing that's going to last forever. And so you have no influence, right? The influence that a Christian has is that we have been connected into eternity, We have a relationship with the eternal God, the most high God. And because of that relationship, he is changing us and enabling us to live in ways that do remind us of forever. If you don't have that connection, then you have no, there's no difference in your life and you have no salt. And what Jesus is saying here, this image of being trampled underfoot, in Jesus' mind, he's actually referring to Rome is going to come and destroy Jerusalem in 70 A.D., So in 35, 40 years, Rome is coming and they're going to trample this city. And anybody that doesn't follow me is going to get caught up in that. And they're going to be judged and destroyed. In our day, to not be salt has a similar effect. You can come to church. You can even sometimes claim to be a Christian. What Jesus is saying, though, is that if you are a Christian, you will show your influence by your saltiness. You will be salty. And to not have that saltiness means that you're going to end up being caught up in the despair and the darkness of the world that Jesus is trying to reach. And so if you don't have any saltiness about you, if there's nothing about you today that characterizes what life will be like in the future, 
be warned. Be warned. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect here. Okay, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm just saying, do you see any evidence of the power of God in your life? If you don't, then Jesus is warning us that if you have no influence, you have no Jesus. And you'll experience judgment in the final day. So, Jesus says that our influence, it seasons like salt. Our second point is that our influence shines like light. It shines like light. This is verse 14. You are the light of the world. Now, this image really kind of tells the story of the Bible. Okay? Um, In the beginning, God made the world, right? He made everything, and he made it good. It was very, very good. And the first thing that God made was what? It was light, right? In the beginning, God made light, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, he called the darkness night, and the light was good. And light characterizes the rest of what he created. Okay, life was filled with light. And then God created us to live with him in the full honesty, in the full openness of light. But, but we brought sin into the world. Human beings, our first parents, and then we've added to it, we sinned against the light of God. Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden when they broke God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we bring our own darkness into the world in the choices that we make on a daily, a weekly basis. We choose to avoid God's light. And the result is that we hide. Okay, that's what happens. We hide. Darkness is hiding the light or hiding from the light. Okay, Adam and Eve did it. They hid from each other. Then they hid from God. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We avoid bringing our sins. We avoid bringing our failures into the light of God's all-seeing eye because we feel it, right? We feel embarrassed. We feel ashamed. We feel guilty. And when we do that, the darkness actually grows. When we hide from the light, when we're not honest about who we really are, the darkness grows. There is more that is hidden in the world. I mean, in fact, in a sense, we could say the darkness wins. Every time we hide, every time we're not honest, the darkness wins. It gets stronger and stronger and more powerful. Jesus is saying, though, that if you're a Christian, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And, I mean, this is so important because it's not so much, although this is part of it. Well, part of it is that that means that you're going to expose the darkness, okay? You're going to be a person, a man or a woman with a candle walking around with the light of God's truth, right? And there are going to be times when you're going to expose things that don't want to be exposed, where you're going to end up doing some battle with folks that are trying to grow the darkness because they want to hide, okay? But you being the light of the world, it's not just because you know those kind of folks, right, who always want to find you out and want to, you know, get in your face. And, 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 you know, they're kind of annoying, you know, because it doesn't feel like they really love anything but exposing people, right? Um, you know those folks. I used to be one of those folks. Um, by God's grace, I'm learning how to be a better source of light in, in, in the world. But so it's not just exposing evil, but it's also it's, ex, it, it's explaining to people 
it's like being a beacon of hope, right? Kind of like a, you know, a lighthouse on a rocky cliff as, as boats are coming in and crashing against the, the rocks as they get too close to the shore. We can be out there and we can say, here is the way into safe harbor. Here is the way to deal with the brokenness in your life. Here is the way to come in so that you can actually find healing and hope. Here's where you can find a safe place to be honest about the stuff that you've been hiding. That's the kind of light that Jesus was. And there are times when we need to get into someone's kitchen and say, look, what you're doing here is wrong. And I need to confront you because I love you. But again, you do that in a relationship, right? You got to have a relationship so that you've got the credibility to be able to speak that way into someone's life. Or they run farther from you. They hide even deeper in the darkness. And the way to do this, I think, the best way to be light is first to be salt. Okay? To me, it seems like salt is the life dynamic and then the relationship dynamics. And then light is the sharing of truth. Okay? In a sense, we could say that salt is the doing of life and the being in relationship. And then light is the knowing. It's sharing God's truth in a way that would help people find their way back to him. Okay, now, um, you think about, like, how do you actually do this? Um, and honestly, I've been reading this book that's the best thing I've ever read on having a, a profound, positive spiritual influence on people. It's called Going Public With Your Faith. I don't do this very often, but I've been so moved by this book because it really helped, it's helped me understand so much better uh, the world that we live in, what non-Christian people are like and how different they think from Christians sometimes. You know, and then in the book, it talks about how do you begin a spiritual influence in a relationship? And they talk about having, um, they, they call them faith flags and faith stories that are the ways to, 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 to let your faith begin to bless somebody. Okay? And what that is, that's as you build a friendship with someone, Um, you get to know them, you begin to just let it be known that God plays a part in your life. You let it be known that that there are times when you pray. You let it be known that there are things that you have found, you know, helpful from the Bible. You just let it be known that you go to church, right? Not in a way that, I mean, it's part of the conversation. When it's appropriate and it comes up, you just drop things that make it clear that you're a person of faith, that you're a Christian, Okay with no explanation, with no, hey, let me sit you down and force this something onto you. You just, you just let it be known that you're a person who believes in Jesus, okay? Those are faith flags. And if a person asks you more about it, then you share, but you don't have to share. The point is just to let it be known that, that, that faith is an is important part of your life, okay? Those are faith flags. Faith stories, then, are like one to two-minute descriptions of, of how your faith has made a difference in your life. So these are just testimonies that you might share. You know, I've really struggled a lot with being patient with my kids. And I've been realizing that. And lately, I've been praying a lot more about that. I've been asking Jesus to give me his patience because I don't have patience in me, but he's got perfect patience. And as I've thought about him and prayed, it's made me more patient. I've been more understanding, and it's made a big difference. That's it. That's a faith story. 
those are the things that you can begin to incorporate into your regular relationship with folks. And as you do that, you just, you, it's like you're putting it out there, and if they're interested, then they can ask you more. But you're not forcing it on them. And all you're saying is, look, this is what works for me. Christianity makes more sense out of my life. Christianity helps me. Christianity does these things for me in a way that invites them. Your testimony then invites them to share in a relationship with Jesus. They can find out more about it, and it doesn't push it on them. Does that make sense? And so that's how it works. That's how it works. Now, the result of this is positive. You know, with salt, Jesus gives results that are negative, but the result is if you do this, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and then give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There it is. When you do this, when you let your light shine, that means having salty relationships where you're living in a way that lasts forever and then beginning to be able to explain the connection. The light sort of comes in and says, well, it's because of Jesus for me that this, is, that, this, that this works. As you do that, Jesus is saying that people will see your life. And as you begin to explain God's truth along with that, they will want what you have. And they will end up coming to Christ. That's how it works. Our relationships with non-Christians, our job is not to convert anybody. Our job is simply to love. We want to love people so much that they would understand and be blessed by our faith. Okay? I mean, that's a good way. I'd write that down. We want to love people so much that they understand and are blessed by our faith. That's what it means to be salt and light. So we season like salt. Our influence shines like light. And then our last point is that our influence grows through relationships. I know it's a little bit repetitious because we're already talking about it the whole time, but it's important enough. You have to realize that you will have no influence on non-Christians if you have no friendships with non-Christians. Okay, People will not come to know Jesus if you're not friends with them. Why is that? Well, because non-Christians are smart. They're smart. Um, it's people that don't know any better who are duped into things without seeing proof. Right? But non-Christians are smart, and the church has taught them, well, you better be smart. If you're not a Christian here today, man, boy, have we done a really good job of giving you every reason not to join the church? I mean, just I'm thinking about the church in general. Right? You think about the public face of the church. My goodness, we've done so much that would make people think, man, if that's what Jesus is like, I don't want to go anywhere near them, right? I mean, that's, that's what people see when they think about the church. And, and that's why relationships are absolutely vital, right? Because it's, it's relationships that move non-Christians away from cynicism and actually build credibility for the gospel, right? You've got to have a relationship so that somebody gets the opportunity to say, wow, I always thought Christians were like what I see on television or like what I see in the media, but you're different. How many times has that happened to you? 
I mean, we feel like as a church, Harbor is filled with people who have said, wow, like I've gone to church before, but it's never been like this. The good news actually sounds good here. I don't feel like I'm on a treadmill, you know, where I have to earn my salvation or earn my favor with God. I've never, I have never, didn't know Christianity was like that. You know, I thought it was about rules. We're saying, no, it's a relationship with God, a relationship of love and grace and mercy. It's relationships with non-Christians that move them away from cynicism and build credibility for the gospel. Today, in our culture, that is much more postmodern than modern. And I know for those of you who are older, this is really hard for you to understand. I'm serious about this. You need to realize that people don't care what absolute truth is anymore. They just don't. You could logically prove to them that there can only be one true religion and they can say, well, logically, okay, fine, whatever. Like they've checked out a long time ago and they don't care. They just don't care. Do you know what non-Christians care about today? They care about people who are genuine, who are honest, who are real, and who actually have something that makes a difference in their life that would be readily applicable to the non-Christian. Does that make sense? What people want today are, is proof. Show me that it makes a difference in your life. Show me that being a Christian means that there are issues in my life that will get better. Don't just tell me about it, but show me. That's what non-Christians want. They don't want to hear people preach about Christianity unless there's evidence, right? Unless there's, you know, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of the salt is in the tasting. One person just said this, authenticity is the new holiness. It's good. It's really good because it used to be that if someone was holy, they just automatically commanded respect. Now, if someone acts holy or appears holy, command suspicion. <laughs> you know, but it's when folks are authentic and honest, when people are real about their weaknesses. And so here's what's amazing. You want proof of this? I mean, we talk about our day and age, but it was back then too, right? All these things. If you want to be salt and light, you want to know how to do it. It's what Jesus said right before this. It's the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus is saying that if you want to have influence with non-Christians, the way to do that is you have to have a life that is characterized not by, oh, look at how great my life is, but characterized by honesty. Man, I'm not perfect. I'm broken. There's things that really need work. I mean, that builds credibility with people today. Non-Christians are so suspicious and so sick and tired of hearing people talk about, if you come to Jesus, your whole life will be perfect. That's not how it is. That's not salt and light. That doesn't help anybody, right? If you act like your life is all put together and aren't honest about your own weaknesses and aren't upfront about the fact that, no, 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 sometimes when you become a Christian, your suffering goes up. <laughs> Different kind of suffering. Lots of reasons to say I want that extra suffering because of the benefits of knowing Jesus. But to be that way, it's, it's almost like a lighthouse that you could just never ever get to, right? People are, I'm just never going to be like that. I can't relate to that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's relationships that make Christianity real and deep, real and deep. So how are you doing? How salty have you been this last week, this last month? How much helpful light have you shined 
if you've failed, then you're actually in a perfect place to be salt and light. If you have not been salt and light and you're willing to admit that you haven't been salt and light, then you're in a perfect place to be salt and light. And the reason is because if you recognize that you've failed at this, the place you need to go is to the cross, right? Because if salt is permanent, Jesus himself, who was the ultimate in perfection, the ultimate in eternal living, he came and he actually cut his life off. He was trampled underfoot on the cross. Jesus, who himself was the light of the world, he actually entered into the darkness and allowed the darkness to defeat him on the cross. And he did these things for you. He did these things so for every time you have not been salt, for every time you have not shown the light, you could be forgiven. Because Jesus took the darkness. Jesus took the judgment that comes from not being salty so that you could be forgiven. And the wonder of wonders is that as Jesus washes you clean from all the areas where you fail, he takes up residence in you. And so he who is the light of the world enters into you and gives you light. He who is the salt of the earth enters into you and makes you salty. And if all that you have to share is... I was not a good influence in the world. But Jesus has loved me and forgiven me. If that's all you have to share, you are salt and light. Because you can help other people who are in the darkness find their way to him. And that's, where, that's how it works. It's his cross that washes us clean. It's his resurrection that shows that his life really was the permanent thing that lives on forever. He's already living forever. That's what we need. That's what we need to be salt and light. And that's what we get when we trust in him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you and we beg you um, that as you have cleansed us from our failure to be salt and light, that you would fill us again, that you'd fill us again anew and again with your salt and with your light so that we might actually be a positive influence on folks around us. And Jesus, there are people here who are still on the outside, who are looking in, who see that there's something worth having here, but who haven't yet put their faith in you. They haven't come to you as the light. They're still in measures of darkness. Would you touch them today? Would you lead them to the cross and the resurrection so that they would see that deep down what they really want comes from you? Jesus, every one of us here, every one of us here wants to be a positive influence in the world. And we ask that you would help each one of us to connect with you so that we can be open about where we failed so that we can come out of the darkness, so that we can come out of our hiding. And as we experience your healing light and your affirming grace, 
that you would set us free. Do that so that we can then do that with others. Give us more relationships with non-Christians. Help us not to bring an agenda, but to bring your love and your grace. Rub us up together with folks who don't know you so that we can be salt and light. And we'll give you all the glory. We pray in your name. Amen.